Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, we got a treat for you today. Matt Baker is going to join us. He has a new newsletter. That's Florida Football Fix. You can sign up for that. It's going to be twice a week during the fall, once a week during the offseason. Matt has lots to talk about when it comes to college football. You also read about him in motorsports. We're going to talk about that as well, as well as USF Stadium Pursuit. Some news on that. But first... Let's start uh, with the Bucks in the NFL. They have released left tackle Donovan Smith. This was anticipated for several weeks as they try uh, to get in compliance with the salary cap by a week from uh, a week from today, actually March fifteenth by four p.m. They have to be within the two hundred and twenty-four point eight million dollars salary cap. Uh, we know that they have informed players uh, of their release, like Leonard Fournette and Cam Brate. This is all part of it. They're going to save. $9.95 million by parting ways. With Donovan Smith, who, look, at whatever you thought of him last year, and it was bad, um, it was certainly his worst season in so many ways. Um, but, look, this guy has, has been, uh, as far as the NFL goes, a very solid, uh, if not spectacular at times, left tackle. And I know people were frustrated, uh, as I mentioned last season, because uh, I think part of that is that he was injured. He was injured week one against the Dallas Cowboys. He hyperextended his left elbow. Now, that doesn't necessarily forgive effort sometimes with your feet and other things that you can do uh, to try to stay between yourself and the quarterback, uh, as well as you know technique, the penalties, and some of the things really hurt Donovan. Um, you know, they, just, they just signed him in March of 2021 to a two-year $31.8 was it $31.8 million contract um, back then, and they thought he'd be around for a couple years, and um, now they gotta they gotta make some changes, but this guy, if nothing else, was there for his football team. Um, he started 124 regular season games. He was part of that uh, draft class with Jameis Winston. Uh, Ali Marpet was part of that, I think, as well. Uh, and he only missed six games, including uh, just two over his final seven seasons. I mean, this guy barely missed it down for much of his career. So the first best ability is availability, and he was there for his team. Uh, last year, as I mentioned, not so good. Um, you know, he was second in the NFL, most accepted penalties. He had 1,200 yards in penalties, which uh, was the most in the NFL. Two of his holding calls were you know, took away touchdowns that uh, you, you may recall. Uh, also, he allowed uh, a team-high six sacks. So, you know, the offensive line was not good. Remember, he was playing without his buddy, his partner for all those years, Ali Marpet, who retired last March. So uh, that was obviously a, a problem because, um, you know, trying to get Luke Gedeke in there at uh, left guard did not work very well. And then, you know, they, they had some changes during the season. So there was a lot of things that didn't go well, uh, you know, for Donovan Smith. But uh, the Bucks. Look, they have no money, and this is their 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 aim now is to get under the salary cap. This certainly helps them, as will the release of Brayton and Fournette once that hits. But there's more work to do, 
And Mike Greenberg, uh, their cap guru over there, is doing all he can to to make them compliant. Because they have no salary cap room, for the first time in four years, they could not use their franchise or transition player tag. Um, and the most likely player for that would have been Jamel Dean. Uh, I, there was a, a list of, of available free agents by Pro Football Focus. He ranked fifth in that list, and that included Geno Smith, who just signed a three-year, $105 million contract with Seattle on Monday. So uh, the problem is to to franchise Dean, it would have added another $18.16 million in the Bucks' salary cap, which is already bloated. Uh, so they couldn't do that. And they're, they're talking to him uh, and hoping to get a long-term deal with him done prior to the start of free agency. Now, a lot of times players get this close, they want to at least go out there, and if they don't agree on you know market value, uh, getting offers from other teams, not that you shop it and that you have to come back to your former team, but it is a way of of, of, of deciding an argument. I know that uh, Dean and his agent are very happy that that, that the Bucks couldn't use a franchise tag on him, but uh, but you know this is this is going to be the Bucks' challenge is trying to get some of their own players back. They now have some, I don't know, it'd be twenty five players I think that are now going to be free agents uh, if you don't include Tom Brady, who's on the going to be on a retired list. Um, and so, you know, but this is first time in four years they haven't used the tag. Uh, if you recall, going back several years ago after Shaquille Barrett um, had that outstanding year, he received the tag in 2020 when he set the club record with 19 and a half sacks the previous season. Then he played under a one-year contract uh, that one year uh, before signing the multi-year deal in 2021. Then the Bucks, the last two years have made Chris Godwin their franchise player. Played one season on the franchise tag and then got it uh, a year ago, but then signed a three-year, $60 million contract just nine days uh, after he received the designation. So uh, this has been a tool that the Bucks have used, but now the bill has come due, and it is, uh, you know, it, it is painful. It's painful to part with some of these guys. Uh, I know Jason Light had a statement about, you know, thanking Donovan Smith. I mean, this is the thing. These are These are players you will remember – as part of a team that won a Super Bowl and went to three playoff, you know, games in three years and won two division titles with Tom Brady. Uh, and Donovan Smith, the year that Tom Brady won a Super Bowl, was exceptional. He was a terrific player that year. You could tell he took it to another level, as did a lot of players under the first year with Brady. It was a COVID year. Uh, that certainly helped them in terms of crowd noise and things like that. Um, but he was on it for the most part. There were some penalties and things, but – um, I thought he played well. So happy trails to Donovan Smith. I don't know if he plans on resuming his career. I'm sure there is a, uh, a market for left tackles. Now, what do the Bucks do? Well, I think in the, if they had to play tomorrow, and they don't, um, but you always think that way, right? Tristan Wirfs would seem to be the guy that you would move from right tackle to left tackle. You don't want to have to do that because, quite frankly, he is he is the best in the game. He's an all-pro at right tackle. So you're taking somebody who has, who has mastered his position and then, you know, switching hands with him essentially like, you know, uh, everything is is now left-handed for him if he moves over there. He can do it because he's a tremendous athlete, has great feet, great work ethic. Uh, he played three games at Iowa, I think, on that side. So is he capable? Yeah. And you'd love to have him over there against some of the better pass rushers, especially on the quarterback's blind side if you're right-handed, as most quarterbacks are in this league. So I think that that's going to be uh, maybe option one or one A. And the way it works out, and look, they could draft a left tackle, and if they do, 
then that would be the way they would go is leave Tristan at the right side. But let's say you just have who you have now. Uh, what do you do? Well, you could move Tristan to left tackle. Uh, you could take Luke Gedeke, who was a right tackle in college at Central Michigan before they tried to make him a left guard, which was the difficult transition for him. Maybe he could play right tackle uh, in the NFL. And then you still have guys like Robert Hainsey, who was your center for most of the year. He could he was competing at the left guard spot, would be a better inside player maybe than Luke. And then you have Ryan Jensen, who came back and played in the playoff game. So assuming he's going to be good to go from the you know the start of the season next year at center, now you've got your best five guys on there, maybe in a better position. So uh, new offense, um, some you know more zone blocking things like that. So it's going to change a lot about what they do with their offensive line. Um, but I think that you know these were moves that we've anticipated. There will be more. Before we get to next Wednesday, I don't know exactly when they'll come. They'll kind of trickle in. Um, you know, there's going to be more cuts and, and maybe maybe a surprise or two as uh, they'll have to renegotiate some contracts. Guys who signed last, whether it was Carlton Davis or Ryan Jensen, they'll be going at them uh, asking for some, you know, for some money, not not to pay them money, but they'll be paying them their base salaries up front in forms of bonuses and then maybe adding some voidable years on the back end. So, the idea is to try to get uh, the house in order, uh, and then we'll see. We'll see what they do with respect to free agency and how many of these guys they can try to get back. Uh, but the first job is what they're doing right now, which is getting cap compliant sort of you know, by next, uh, next Wednesday. Uh, there was a, a lot of uh, interesting things that occurred because of the franchise player tags and such around the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens gave Lamar Jackson a non-exclusive franchise player tag. And what that means is now he can go out and solicit offers from teams that have a first-round pick. Uh, And if uh, they sign him to an offer sheet, the Baltimore Ravens would have a chance to match. But the compensation, if they were not to match, for that team signing him would be two first-round picks. Uh, And that... Already, uh, the Miami Dolphins and the Atlanta Falcons have said they are not interested. They are standing pat with what they have. Uh, Miami doesn't have a first-round pick, so they would have to wait until uh, after the draft anyway or thereabouts So uh, for this year. But, um, yeah, you, just, you don't know exactly who's going to be in the market for Lamar Jackson, but rest assured he will have one. I don't think two number ones is uh, is too much to ask for a guy like Lamar Jackson, and maybe he ends up back with the Ravens, but in any case, they could not get him to a long-term deal. The New York Giants, though, they had a little more success. They were able to re-sign uh, Daniel Jones to a four-year contract for about $40 million a year average. That enabled them, uh, they did this just under the deadline, to uh, use the franchise player tag on Saquon Barkley. So they were able to bring their two um, big players back home. So that was a big development for them. So Lots going on in the NFL, and of course, uh, always, there's plenty going on with college football, which brings us to Matt Baker. But before we get to Matt, I want to remind you guys how to save money on your electric bill. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems now for 12 years. Now, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty, plus with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the main difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install. Plus, this is important. 
they don't use subcontractors. All those guys up there on the roof doing those solar patterns, those those are Billy Mays guys, so you know you're in good hands. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar. Here's the number, 727-819-2862. Schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of those appliances. It's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Matt Baker joins us now. And this is exciting because, Matt, we, we have you on every week during the football season. Obviously, we have you on during the off season to talk about various things. But now people can get their take and their their fix of Matt Baker with a new newsletter called the Florida Football Fix on the Tampa Bay dot uh, com. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's called Florida Football Fix. I think the best way to to sign up uh, go to my, just go to my Twitter uh, feed, M Baker TV Times. I've got it pinned at the top. Um, so as you you know, and I think as I share on this podcast, I love college football a lot. Like I, I hope it comes through in what I write, but I think it comes through better when when you when I talk and you can hear my passion and some of the stories. But every week, even during the off season, I have a lot of stuff to say that I don't have a place to say it necessarily. Uh, this podcast is certainly one way to do that, but another way we're going to do that is with this newsletter. Like I said, it's called Florida Football Fix, and uh, it's going to be every week. Um, once a week during the off season, then twice a week during the season, um, probably coming out every Thursday, but I just want to you know, share more college football stuff. I, I have things that interest me that I can connect and want to connect to what's going on at Florida, Florida state, USF, Miami, UCF, whatever, and kind of connecting the dots between what's happening elsewhere and what's happening here. And there have been a lot of times this off season already, like, man, I wish I had a newsletter where I could kind of share things. Maybe it's not a fully formed story yet, but share some insight and, and, and some thoughts on what's going on elsewhere and why it matters here. So uh, that's going to be launched here next week. And it's something we're, uh, that, that I'm really excited about to, to get going and just another way for me to <laughs> blab about the sport that I love so much. Well, your passion does come through, and it will in this. is Florida Football Fix. You can go to uh, Matt's uh, Twitter feed, at mbaker. TV times and check that out. And we'll look forward to that, especially during the college football season, twice a week, once a week, uh, in, in the off season and college football is something you write about year round, Matt. And, um, you recently wrote a story about USF. You've been following, uh, their on campus football stadium pursuit. Their board of trustees took another step. They've approved spending. And this is a big figure when you consider it doesn't include anything to do with construction, $22 million just for the designing of a 35,000, uh, seat stadium that would be the new home of the bulls tell us like what all does this entail what does this include where's the money coming from and how how much further uh, do they need to go do they really understand the cost of this thing ultimately the last question is 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 the important one and the answer is still no <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i laugh but i mean it's not like the, the people there have zero idea 
and like sure. they think it could cost five cents or you know five trillion dollars I mean, no they have right. some sort of literal ballpark idea you know will weatherford the, the chairperson of the board of trustees called it a multi-hundred million dollar football stadium uh, mm. a couple weeks ago so that's at least gives you some sort of rough thing but does that right. mean 200 million does that mean 400 million um they're still kind of figuring that stuff out i would guess it's in the two to three hundred million but we'll see where it ends up um so let's start with what actually happened on tuesday it was the least i guess the, the most anticlimactic thing of this the stadium saga since it's really started in the last year and a half this this part of it um but it was the most consequential they they voted to spend 22 million dollars on the design phase and i'll get the details in in that but it was anticlimactic because it was on the consent agenda so if you don't follow board meetings then i envy you but basically um they they talked about it in a committee a couple weeks ago and that's when they kind of talked about the details and is this good is it not good so all the debate was done. At this point, it was just a matter of the financial committee said, let's do this. Does anyone object? No. Okay, boom, done. Nobody even mentioned the stadium by name. It was just, this is on the consent agenda. We consent to all of this stuff. Boom, next. Mm. So, but here's, here's, here's why it's important. $20 million is a lot of money. Again, it's, it's a fraction of the $200, $300 million, $400, whatever it will end up being. But sure. $22 million to design a stadium, I, in theory, they could still back out and say, you know what, $22 million, it, we're w- willing to lose it because we don't like what the stadium will cost. We don't like what it will look like. It doesn't make sense, whatever the case may be. But I, just on a practical level, Rick, I find it really hard to think that they would spend $22 million to design it, have pretty blueprints and renderings in, in a year, and be like, nah, we don't want to do it. I, I just can't imagine that happening. So right. this is the clearest sign yet. That is going to happen, although it still could back out. Um, now let's dig in uh, to some of the other questions you asked. Where is the money coming from? Okay, it's a fantastic question. It is not coming from your tax dollars, and it is not coming from student fees either. Um, so there's, you know, they, they've raised money, uh, donations. That's a chunk of it. Chunk of it is uh, income that they've earned from investments. And then a, another chunk of it is there was some sort of uh, the, the TV station there when they folded that up several years ago and sold some of the assets. And that was just kind of money that was sitting around for a rainy day. And then this was the rainy day. Um, so that's where the $22 million is coming from. And here's where it's going. About $15 million of that is for actual design and, and what they call pre-construction. So there's a the, this design build team of Populous, which they do a ton of stadiums and football complexes and arenas. Um, them and Barton Mallow, which is a construction company, uh, that's going to be $15 million to those guys to design the stadium. Okay, this is what we want. This is where it's going to be. Design everything. Here's the layout. Here's where the bathrooms are, that type of thing. Uh, $2 million, or excuse me, uh, $3.9 million is for other related planning. So as it was explained, explained to me, that's like the land, right? You have to survey the land. Where do we need to flatten it? Uh, what is inside the ground that we need to worry about for sewers? Sure. Yeah, again, extremely boring, but important stuff. There's another $2 million and change for contingencies. Um, so what that means is USF is asking this group to design and build a stadium. What if they decide that there's some other stuff they want incorporated in it that is not necessarily a stadium, and that's going to cost more? So mm-hmm. the example that 
I would use or that was thrown out to me today. Let's say they wanted, um, again, this is a hypothetical, don't take it to the bank, but let's say they wanted, uh, USF decided, we want our hospitality management, some of that program, some of those classes, whatever it is, to be incorporated into the stadium somehow. It's a totally mm-hmm. reasonable idea. Well, maybe Populist, when they agreed to the cost, was not thinking that that would be involved. Okay, if you want us to design us, great, and that's going to cost a little bit extra. So that's where that $2 million comes in, just a little you know, stuff on the edges. And then there's $850,000 to, to finance the thing. So that's the how that $22 million is comprised. And then uh, the, the next step is they're going to finalize a contract between Populous and Barton Mallow here pretty darn soon, I would think. And then it's going to be the real design phase where they've been all sorts of conversations going on, mostly with the athletic department about what do we want this stadium to be? What do what does the women's lacrosse team need? What do the athletic trainers need? What does the football team need? Um, but those conversations are going to kind of spread to where it's going to be, uh, what do students need? Again, maybe they think they need a new student union. Again, I'm just throwing something out. Um, so maybe they think they need a new student union, and that can be incorporated into the stadium. Um, what do the faculty need? What does the community as a whole need? Those conversations are going to happen over the next month or so, is what Jay Stroman, who's kind of one of the guys leading the charge, that's what he was telling me today or on Tuesday as we record. And then the last thing, and then I'll stop rambling here, is it's going to be you know another nine months-ish after that where, okay, we populace, this, you, this is what we have heard from the USF community. You want X, Y, and Z. We're going to start putting pen to paper and designing it. Okay, if you want the hospitality management program in there, great. Here's where it would go. Here's what it might look like. Here's what it might cost. Okay, you want a football operations center with it. Okay, great. We might put it here, or we might put it there. We do this, it's going to cost X. We do that, it's going to cost Y. And then here, you know, probably early 2024 is what we're talking about. Um, USF, all the people involved here will get together and say, okay, if we do this, it will cost X. If we do that, it will cost Y. Here's how everything is going to cost. I'll break down. Here's all the pretty pictures. What do we want to do? And also, how are we going to pay for it? So that's kind of what's really going on in the next 10 months is they're going to figure out what do they need? What will it look like? How much will it cost? And also, do we want to afford that? And how can we afford that? I mean, I'm I'm guessing, and I, I'm not in the stadium construction business, obviously, but I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> that when you're going to build an on-campus stadium for USF, this is going to be a, a quite an ask for the alumni at some level, right? I mean, those, those are the people that would seem to have the most allegiance to the program, to the university. Um, I, I suppose there's ways to include student fees and things like that in it as well. Um, but, but this is, this is going to, this has been a discussion obviously for a while among boosters, among, um, people. And, and I think Matt, the the ultimate goal here is, and, and it's not really a secret, I don't believe is that you've seen this with other programs. What does an on campus stadium do for the ability of a program to be elevated, maybe even to the point where you become, uh, invited to one of these, you know, elite five conferences. So let's get uh, let's uh, let me tackle the first part first. Yeah, it, there has already been a fundraising push. There's already been a lot of asks in terms of, sure. of raising money, and there is going to be a lot more as this becomes clear, as it becomes reality. You know, once, yeah. yeah, yeah, and once they get the pretty pictures to show, like, okay, this is this is what it's going to look like. Actual pictures, not just the, the pie in the sky uh, 
things that you know we've been putting on our stories for years at this point. Um, that's going to make it clearer for people. I think they'll you know be asked more to to donate. Um, there's going to be other ways that this is uh, paid for as well. Um, you know, there, there's revenue streams that they don't get at Ray J that they would at a stadium. Parking, concessions, uh, maybe sure. they have a beer garden, um, naming rights. You know, the, the Rick Stroud and family uh, football stadium when you donate $5 oh, million dollars or $10 million. Yeah, um, all, all that type of stuff will be fun, you know, and they'll be able to use that to pay down the debt because I'm assuming they're going to borrow a good chunk of money here for this. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the rough, broad strokes of how they're going to pay for it, although we don't know all the details. Um, as, sure. you know, Will Weatherford, the chair of the, the trustees, said a couple weeks ago, we literally don't have a financing plan yet. Again, they, they don't have to right now, but that's just a, sure. that's just where they are. Um, the other thing you touched on there is the importance of it, and it is important potentially very, very, very important. Um, I, I look at this, you know, again, as I plug our, our newsletter that we're getting ready to launch, to me, the most interesting thing is the the conference realignment dominoes that are still out there and are going to fall. I don't know when, but there's still stuff mm-hmm. that's going to happen. Um, you know, right. you look at the Pac-12 where, as we record this, they haven't announced a new TV deal yet, but they're working on it. Whatever happens there, if it's great, then maybe they add uh, SMU and, and San Diego State. If it's not, maybe they something else happens and they get poached. I don't know what's going to happen, but sure. there are going to be dominoes. And again, the, two of the, pro, the programs that I mentioned as Pac-12 targets, uh, San Diego State, I think most people would agree is the top one. They just opened in this fall a $310 million football stadium that's going to be part of this new kind of campus that they're building up. And I think it's called mission Valley um, mm. SMU. Their stadium is 20 ish years old, maybe a little bit more than that, but they also just broke ground in December on a hundred million dollar football complex kind of in the, I think it's a South end zone there at, at Ford stadium. There's a common theme here, right? Yeah. They, they have made enormous investments in football and stadiums here recently. And that's something that raises their profile. You know, John Canzano, who's one of the best Pac-12 writers, uh, he reported recently that those two in Colorado State are three of the four programs that the Pac-12 kind of expects to view as expansion targets. Colorado State also uh, was in 2016, I think it was 2017, opened a $300 million football stadium on campus. Football stadiums, the facilities are not everything. If you win, a lot of the other stuff doesn't matter. Or if you lose, then a stadium doesn't matter. However, when you look at USF in particular, you look at their tier one research in university, you look at how big they are, you look at how many alumni you have, they have, you look at uh, Florida as a hotbed for recruiting talent, you look at the Tampa Bay market, all that stuff. USF has the bones of a power five program. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, the problem is the facilities are not great. They're better with the, with the indoor opening, but they're still not good enough yet. And then they haven't won. So if the Bulls can eliminate one of those things, hey, with this new stadium, we are a Power 5 institution. That's going to help. And if Alex Golish can get the football team turned around, where maybe they go on a run like UCF has done here the last last few years, where they're competing in and going to New Year's Six Bulls, that's what would push them over the top. Where if there's another opening, and there will be at some point, then maybe USF can get that invite into a Power League. If they do, 
And when you look at the new TV contracts that will be coming and those that are already in place, this stadium would pay for itself if they're able to, to join one of those conferences. Potentially. I, I say that because, I mean, yes, the difference between um, what USF is making and will make from the American versus what they would make from the Big 12 or the ACC, theoretically, or one of those, that's astronomical. It also costs a lot more to be in that, right? Your day-to-day, yeah. uh, you know, what you need to spend on recruiting, yeah. your operations, all that stuff that that matters. But yeah. if you do it right, there's no reason that you can't use a lot of that money to help pay down the stadium. I, I'm, I'm quite sure of that. I, I don't know at the end of the day it's a wash. but And then we have to remember, too, if you're in a Power 5 conference, that's a lot more visibility, right? Yeah. So yep. uh, your games are going to be more on... ESPN and ABC or Fox, whatever it is, and less on ESPN U and ESPN Plus. So that's a lot more exposure for your program and also for your university. And if you can rate, use athletics to raise the profile of USF, then you're getting more applicants. Um, you're getting, then you're able to get a higher quality of student. You're able to get mm-hmm. a higher quality of student. You're able to get a higher quality of faculty. And all that stuff kind of plays into the actual mission of the university, which is not to win 10 games a year, believe it or not. There, there's more to it than that, I, I am told, according to sources. So it all kind of plays into it. And, and yeah, if you can certainly make a case that if this stadium does what it's capable of, it will be a very sound investment to the future of USF. Uh, you can certainly read about that in Matt's story uh, on TampaBay.com and Tampa Bay Times. I wanted to talk to you, uh, Matt. I am back from uh, the Combine from last week. I didn't get to see live Anthony Richardson worked out the Florida quarterback. I did watch it live on television, which is the next best thing. And you've covered this guy. Listen, we all knew that he was going to test well, right? But how well? And uh, he won the combine, if there is such a thing. Um, the guy, you know, six foot four, weighed in at 244 pounds, ran a 4.4440 that was adjusted to, I think, 4.41. Um, you know, uh, set a quarterback record for vertical jump. We can go on and on, but more than that, um, I think that for the feedback I got, teams enjoyed talking to him, like his story, um, you know, uh, saw a certain maturity for a guy that's, what, 20, all of 20, 21 years old, I think, 2022. 20, um, and he certainly can throw it, and he can run. So, Having said all that and knowing the landscape of the quarterbacks coming out, because you've covered many of them as well, um, and, and this is an inexact science even for those that, that do mock drafts and such, how much do you think Anthony Richardson helped himself, and do you believe that he would, you know, he would be worth the gamble for a team in, the, say, the top 10, because I think that's where he's going now, um, to try to develop? Well, yeah, he certainly helped himself. I mean, you, you, I mean, arguably the freakiest athlete at the quarterback position in the combine history. I mean, that's True. that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think he's twenty and turns twenty one in May, if I remember right. And, and, on, I, and right. I mentioned I mentioned that because that's one of the selling points for him is mm-hmm. you, you're not going to be able to teach the the tools or what have you. But he's you know you, you can look at the numbers and. Again, nine of twenty-seven against Florida State is something that's just ingrained in my skull. Um, But yeah, he's only twenty years old. He's only going to get better. So that's kind of one of the selling points on him. Um, 
if I were an NFL team, I, I'd absolutely give him a very strong look in, in the top 10. You'd have to, right? Because you can't teach that speed. You can't teach that size. You can't teach that arm strength. Um, I, yeah, I, I can see the maturity at age 20. I, I, I enjoy talking to him. I, I liked him. He, he was good to deal with. I had, I had no issues. Um, and I think he has matured over, over the, you know, certainly the last couple of years as well. But nine of twenty-seven, Rick. And, okay. and there's there, there's there's more to to it than that. I mean, mm-hmm. Dan Mullen knows so much more about quarterbacks than I than I do. He played Emory Jones over him. Okay, right. there's a reason why. Maybe that then it's kind of youth and inexperience and what have you. That's fine. And then Billy Napier, who did a really good job with with um, Levi Lewis at Louisiana, like he, Bill, uh, Anthony got better over the course of the year, but it still completed. Was it 53% of his passes or something like right. there's, there's major, major pauses. And, and I'll give another thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up for a second, but I, I go, you know, the Utah game, he was out of this world, out of this world. And, and I, you leave that thing and this guy could win the Heisman and I would not be shocked. Mm-hmm. This guy mm-hmm. could be the number one pick and I would not be shocked. And then I think it was, it was um, two weeks later against Kentucky watching him up in Gainesville against Will Levis. He was bad. I mean, there was a, a bad pick, a couple of bad picks, just a disastrous pick six that he threw. Um, one was a really good player by the defender. It just It was disastrous. And I compare that to Will Levis, who had one like 60-yard throw off one foot over the middle, just a sensational, sensational play. And I remember that. I can see it in my mind's eye. And I remember thinking, like, there's a lot of NFL scouts and GMs and types here. If yeah. you're choosing which one you want, it's not close. It's Levis. Right. right. And I think that'll be the, the the calculus that they'll be making. And it would not surprise me if, if, if um, you know, Levitz Le- Le- went, went higher. I, I, I simply think that here, here's what I believe. And I did not watch those games. Um, I've seen some tape of some other games, though, where Florida's receivers dropped some passes. Big ones, mm-hmm. big plays yep. down the field. Um, I saw interceptions bounce off receivers' hands into the opposing defender. Um, I saw him make off-platform flow throws that simply were dimes that you just can't teach. Yep. Now, fundamentally, you know, here, here's the other thing that, like, generally, guys that go into the NFL, the more games they've played, right? The more games they have been in the college arena at the highest level, Division One, whatever. Um, even Brock Purdy. Right, benefited Mr. Irrelevant from having played nearly 50 games at Iowa State. It's a fairly big conference. He had a lot of ball. This guy has not played a lot of ball at a high level. And I don't know who was blocking for him. And I don't know who his receivers were. And I frankly don't know who his co- – I know Billy Napier has done some great things at the college level. Um, but he had him for one year, really, as a starter. So all that is a way of saying to me and, and just knowing the NFL, there are two things that, that will – absolutely torment evaluators. One will be that this guy, as you've said, 50-something complete percentage uh, looked horrendous in some games. If we if we spend this kind of draft uh, capital, he could absolutely be a bust. I and mean, we know this mm-hmm. because we don't have anything on tape or enough on tape that would tell us that he's going to make it at this next level. However, if we don't take him, <laughs> uh, 
he could be the next next Josh Allen. And how will we look five years from now if that occurs? Because mm-hmm. he's such a tremendous talent that maybe we should you know, have a plan. Maybe we should not play him the first year, year and a half. Maybe we should get into the lab with our coaching and our system, work on his fundamentals, and then you know, if, if, if we think he's a worker, if we think he's a guy that cares about football and or his career, look, the rookie, the rookie investment now for quarterbacks or anybody is not what it used to be. They're not guaranteeing Sam Bradford $60 million before he plays it down. Right. Um, it is a lot different. There's a rookie salary pool since 2010. So I got to believe, I mean, we know someone's going to do it, right? Um, but I hear you. I hear everything you're saying. And yet, man, is this guy t- it's like, um, it's, I mean, you fall in love with the talent, but then you turn on the tape and there, again, there are some things that are good. And so, and, and, and you would know this, like, did Florida have good receivers? Did Florida protect him well? Um, you know, all those things are important. Yeah. So the receivers were not good. They they were unspectacular is the word that I would use that they, yeah, they weren't that good. So I, that point is completely fair. Um, the line, was good. I mean, uh, Osiris Torrance, potential first-round pick. Richard Garage, a Tampa kid, was at the combine. The line was good. That wasn't the concern. It was the receivers. That's totally fair. Um, go back to something I, I asked uh, Gary Danielson from from CBS about um, before. I think it was the Florida-Tennessee game um, about Anthony and kind of what he saw. And I started, I don't want to say making excuses, but I, I wondered where, okay, he had three different quarterbacks coaches in three years. You go from Brian Johnson to Dan Mullen to Billy mm-hmm. Napier. So I mm-hmm. wondered how much of it is maybe slightly different things he's being taught, slightly different systems, slightly different play calling. And he was yeah. like, "No, it. I, I, if he was, if some of the, if he was getting thrown off with with some of the reads or something, that's one thing. But right, he's got a guy and just not hitting an intermediate pass." And the media, you, the playing catch, like there he is, yes. hit him. Yeah. Yes. And in the Florida State game, he's throwing screens at people's feet. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. And that's what gives me pause. Um, yeah. But he is so talented. You, you, I, I guess I would say I would take him in the top 10, but it has to be the right position. It has to be like if you're asking him to play immediately, that is not set up for success. That's a bad um, thing. Yes. I would agree with yes. you there. Yeah, the the and you touched on this too, but the, the number one, it's it's it is a crapshoot to go from pick a college quarterback and think how he's going to do in the NFL. But yeah. the best predictor of success, such as it is, is how many games you started in college. That's statistically been proven. So, so that's yeah. a knock on him. Um, yeah. Generally yeah. speaking, generally speaking, players quarterbacks do not improve their accuracy by much. Um, Josh Allen and to a lesser degree, Jalen Hurts are kind of disproving that. But right. generally speaking, that's not something you improve a lot. And so that's mm-hmm. another thing that gives me pause. Um, but if you mm-hmm. put him in the right position where he's learning yeah. from you know, a year from you know, Sam Darnold or somebody like that, um, right. a guy who's going to be uh, Jacoby Brissett, a, a guy who's going to be a solid, serviceable veteran NFL quarterback who can yeah. teach him the ropes for a year and then see what happens after that. Honestly, the way it was with Mahomes and Kansas City, where he had Sure, sent Alex behind Smith. Alex Smith, yeah. Correct. And I don't want to say that Anthony Richardson is going to be Patrick Mahomes. That's not fair. But that type of idea, well, <laughs> give him a redshirt yeah. idea, or give him a redshirt yeah. year, and then yeah. see what happens. That's the best-case scenario, because the worst-case scenario is you put him on a team 
where that doesn't have the pieces around because they pick too mm-hmm. high. Um, that maybe somebody traded up to get him and then loses out on pieces to put around him, and they throw him in too early. And, and the other example that comes to my mind is Felipe Franks at Florida, where he yeah. had was ex- I mean. I mean, he's an NFL tight end, so clearly he's a good athlete with a great yeah. arm, but he was thrown into a situation too early for a team that wasn't good around him. They stunk in 2017 as McElwain was, was on his way out, and I think that scarred his development. So you don't want that to happen to, to Anthony Richardson at the next level. No, he definitely would have to have a plan. And the team that I look at, and if he goes top 10, how about number five to Seattle? where they just re-signed Geno Smith to what essentially is a three-year deal, maybe a two-year deal if you chop it up. Um, and there is no rush to play a guy, and yet you have an older quarterback um, who's secure in his starting abilities and you know, has been in Richardson's position before, um, but was forced to play way too early, got hurt, had things happen to him with the Jets, and then it, you know, it took eight years before he found himself in the position he is today. So, yeah, I, I, I see both sides of it. Um, I do think he'll be taken in the top 10. Uh, he will be fortunate if he goes to a team that, that has a good starter um, like Mahomes was able to benefit from. But my goodness, when you see this guy up and close, and I walked by him a couple times in Indianapolis, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you would guess uh, outside linebacker, right? Edge rusher maybe? You know? Yeah, he's got um, a really deep voice too, which kind of yeah. gives you more of that dude vibe. Yeah. Yeah, he's a dude. And his story, and you've written about this, is compelling in terms of, you know, um, mom worked a bunch of jobs. He essentially sort of, you know, raised his his little brother who he thinks is, you know, regards as almost a son to him. Um, so he's he's been through some stuff, right? And um, and so you like that about him. But it, it was fascinating to see him at, at the Combine. Uh, okay, so I, I mentioned Florida a minute ago. So they've lost some coaches now. Billy Napier has some work to do. Or are you uh, surprised, elated, not surprised that uh, some of these guys are getting picked from uh, his staff? No. So so he's lost three assistants to the NFL, the uh, D.C., uh, Patrick Tony, the receivers coach and tight ends coach. Uh, I mean, it happens, right? Like I don't view that as a sure. negative on Billy or his staff. I think what's unfortunate is the timing where it happened yeah. this late in the cycle where, yeah. I mean, he started spring practice without a full-time receivers coach or tight ends coach. Um, mm. That's not ideal. Um, yeah. He didn't seem particularly worried about it, but still that's, that's not what you want. Um, so I, I think what's interesting is just kind of who he's going to be filling that with, you know, Austin Armstrong's the, the DC that he's already hired. He was the um, defensive coordinator last year at Southern Miss and was had just been named to a uh, Bama staff. He's a you know Louisiana, uh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Billy Napier guy, um, mm-hmm. and the receivers coach they just hired was also somebody who was with Nick Saban. So he he keeps kind of coming back. Uh, Napier does to that same Saban tree, and again, that's not a surprise. That's what he knows very very well. Um, I'm just curious to see how it works out because some people would come in and want to bring in new ideas and, and new philosophies and new coaches, and he's bringing in people that he knows and people that more importantly know him and know the system, the whole tree that goes around it. You can certainly see that working, but if it doesn't, it's going to be easy to second guess on why did they hire us? What what is Armstrong? I think is a 31 year old defensive coordinator instead of trying to go out and get somebody else on the open market. And um, Mm -hmm. why do you keep promoting internally instead of trying to go 
outside. Like that type of thing is going to be very easy to second guess if this doesn't work out. And I mean, we don't know. It's uh, what is it? March 7th. They've had a couple of spring practices. We, we don't know how it's going to work, but uh, that's just kind of something I'm going to be following over the next few months and years. Yeah. I think it's always a compliment though. When teams like your coaching staff, I think, you know, when they're in demand, that means you've done something right. And so maybe sure. you have an eye for coaching talent and you can bring in some new guys and develop them as well. Part of the business for sure. Okay. I'll get you out on this because you have spent some time at the racetrack these mm -hmm. last several weeks, uh, as you are often do for the Tampa Bay times and on Tampa Bay.com. Um, I won't get too much into the, the St. Pete, uh, Grand Prix or the, uh, you know, that, that obviously is its own kind of racing, open wheel racing. And there were wrecks in that too. Here's my pro I have a problem. <laughs> I have a problem, okay. Matt. I'm a casual race fan. Okay. I, I, I'm, it's appointment viewing for me. If it's the Daytona 500, right. Boogity, boogity, boogity. That's the, the, the Super Bowl of, of auto racing. I will occasionally sit down and watch other races, um, uh, as well. Um, and I did watch both of these, the end of both of these, I was traveling. Now here's what I, so I'm on the road myself and I'm going, okay, the Daytona 500s on there, this many laps into the race. I think I have time to catch the last 30. Okay. Of the Daytona 500. And I knew that it didn't matter until we got to, I don't know, a restart. It just seems to me like more and more of these races that I watch, it, it, it is a war of attrition, as, as you know. You, you know, it, it, the fastest car, God bless you, you have to survive the wrecks. The yellow is coming out. You're going to run a ton on caution, and chances are you're going to have two laps, which they've just added, you know, what, I don't know how many years ago, because um, you used to be able to win under caution. But right. um, it's going to be a sprint to the end, and maybe somebody that, that just, you know, didn't run out of gas or avoided the trouble because they were at the back of the pack wins the race. And that was kind of the case with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I don't think he had the fastest car by, by far, but it, are, am I wrong? Are more of these races ending this way? At Daytona, certainly. Um, that I, yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, go back to a couple of years ago where Eric Amarola is leading with, uh, you know, Tampa kid, uh, yeah. leading with half a lap left or whatever it was. And he gets wrecked out. And I think it was a uh, Austin Dillon comes in from he was in third place at the time to, to win on the last lap. Like that's definitely a thing that happens. It's more unique just to Daytona and the crapshoot nature of that track, because there are going to be wrecks because um, everybody bunches up. So when one person makes the slightest mistake, somebody else makes a mistake to correct yeah. that. And then, and then 10 cars are out. Um, right. so that's, right. that's a, a product of that and, and the stakes, right? I mean, Daytona 500 is oh, yeah. the Super Bowl of, of stock car racing. It's the biggest thing. So people will make more, take more chances to win that race that they might not Absolutely. make to win at, uh, Vegas or, or you know, Phoenix homestead, yeah. whatever it is. Um, right. and you know, just kind of the, the, I think the point you make there is, is interesting that there's an, cause IndyCar and NASCAR are very different in that. It, IndyCar, the diehard IndyCar people will tell you that the whole green, white, checkered overtime NASCAR does is silly. Because if it's a 100-lap race, it should be 100 laps, not 112 sure. or you know whatever the case yeah. may be. Yeah. Um, so, but the trade-off is that was exciting at Daytona. That was very exciting where I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, sure. And you can kind of compare that to the Grand Prix the other day in St. Pete where, um, I mean, again, it was, it was still... There is still drama, you know, Pato awards car hiccups with, with a couple laps to go, uh, letting Marcus Erickson win. But 
if things had broken a little bit differently, it, it could have been a runaway. I mean, it was last year when Scott McLaughlin led a zillion laps and, and I think it was like 97 of a hundred laps or whatever it was to win. So it kind of goes both ways there. Um, and just more of a, depends on the style of racing, uh, the, the circuit and, and then the, uh, the, the series as well. Yeah. Well, listen, it, you did a great job covering it. And I think for Stenhouse that, that talk about a guy hadn't won in a minute. Right. And then wins the Daytona 500. How many races had it been? It had been a lot. And, and that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's look, that's the way Daytona is sometimes where you, you, you yeah. have, I always compare Daytona and Indy and Indy 500 in my head, just cause I'm, I'm an Indiana guy. And, sure. um, there's a lot more luck with Daytona. You don't luck into an Indy 500. One. You have to have a car right. that's good enough. You have to avoid right. the mistakes and all that stuff, but you can kind of yeah. sort of luck into Daytona. Um, again, mm-hmm. you, you have to have a car that gets you in that, that keeps you in contention, and then you, sure. you have to, but there's so many times where guys with good cars, just wrong place, wrong time, get wrecked out and nothing you can do. It doesn't happen as much. At, 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 um, so there's more of a luck factor involved with Daytona, which is, is good and bad. It's, it's good because, I mean, almost all of the 40 cars had a legitimate chance to win, but it's also bad sure. because you get a champion that's like, eh, is this guy really the best? Eh, maybe not. Yeah. Well, you had good weather for both, I think. And, and, and the St. Petersburg Grand Prix always looks great on television. And uh, it's All a right. great uh, marketing uh, arm for, for the area, for sure. All right. He is Matt Baker. And you want to check out his new newsletter. It's Florida Football Fix. Matt, they can go uh, to Twitter to sign up at Matt M, at M. Baker TB Times. Yep, correct. I've got it pinned there. So you can... Uh... Click on that link and, and sign up, and we're going to get started here next month. Or, excuse me, next week. Fantastic. Can't wait to read it. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Rick. All right, my thanks again to Matt Baker. Uh, we're going to have some uh, mailbags later this week. Uh, weren't able to get to any questions today. You can still submit those if you have some. They're already coming in. You can do that by hitting me up on Twitter, at NFL Stroud. Uh, you can reach uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay on Twitter, at Sports Day TB. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Lots more going on, I'm sure, in free agency with the Bucks as they try to get under the salary cap. We'd expect more maneuvers uh, with their roster, so check out tampabay.com and the Tampa Bay Times for all of that uh, as well. And remember to check out Matt Baker's newsletter, Florida Football Fix. You can go to uh, Matt's uh, Twitter feed and sign up for that at mbakertbtimes, at mbakertbtimes. My thanks again to Matt. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.